Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. This month on our Inspiring Women series, we have the pleasure of talking with Ted Speaker and founder of Green Cake and Sunbox, Maj Masharawi. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you are having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Maj, would you like to start? Yes. First, thank you so much for having me again. I'm really excited to be part of the episode. I've listened to a couple of them and to be lasted with these great women, such a big deal for me. Um, I'm having a cocktail, actually. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, is, what are you having? It's a, it's a cocktail juice from a Rabia company made in Saudi Arabia. So yeah. it's one What's of the it called? best juices. Uh, it's called the Rabia. It means the spring. Does it taste like spring? <laughs> yes, and it's very like it's pretty fresh. So my team entered the room and they said, "What you are having?" I said, "I have, I have a coffee and cocktail podcast." So they brought me a uh, cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And I'm going to be really cheeky because um, I have with me our first bit of merchandise. Um, those who might be watching on YouTube, we've got a cup. We also have sweaters and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I'm having my boring water as per usual. Um, but hey, it keeps me going. So I might have to try some spring at some point. It's, it's um, super hot here. Like, the degree is around 40 Celsius. So it's perfect to have, uh, you know, fresh something yeah. that keeps you cold. And I was going to say, for some of our American listeners, 40 degrees does not mean it's snowing. It actually means that it's boiling hot, like probably 98 degrees Fahrenheit. So yeah, hot, hot, summertime, all the time, which yes. sort of leads us into these products that you've created, which is phenomenal. And I, I kind of want to give the listeners and viewers sort of a background. Um, so I came across your work through, I was doing a call for inspiring, you know, inspiring women and an individual reached out to me and said, I really think you should talk to this person. And I looked you up, I looked your bio, I, I found your TED talk and I was like, who is this woman? I need, I need to talk to this woman. Will she talk to me? I mean, I, I'm having, having a little bit of an inferiority complex. Is she gonna wanna talk to me? And uh, I was so impressed by the work that you're doing in the Gaza Strip and how you're really sort of pioneering a movement, not just for women, but just for engineering in general and ingenuity. And um, I thought what we do is maybe talk a little bit about your background, if that's okay. And then you can tell us what inspired you to create your first product, Green Cake. And then more to the point, you know, let us know what is Green Cake? So uh, my name is Mashed. Mashkarawi. I'm a Palestinian who was born in Gaza. I grew up there. I've never left the country before 2017. And I've never spoke a single, lang a single language except Arabic before that. And my life actually started when I was a kid. I grew up in a very special family. My dad is an entrepreneur. My mom, she, she was married in the age of 17. She had no education. And she really fought hard to do her bachelor while, while getting three kids and doing her master's while getting the rest of the three children. Um, so she fought hard to do her education and, and she always encouraged me to be different. So on the age of 14, I launched the first youth movement in Gaza fighting against the civil, the, uh, the, the civil war that we had in 2005, 2006. And we failed. Like after two years of working hard, campaigning, doing radio episodes, a lot of podcasts, talking to different people, 
no one listened to us, not because we were not influential enough, but people wanted to hear something that changes their life. Like they don't want to hear people complaining and, you know, saying this is wrong, this is shouldn't have happened. They wanted to hear something like we can build instead of destroying. We can do something different. Um, you should believe in young people. So that's why I decided to study hard at, at school in order to go to a college with a scholarship. Um, after graduating, I was one of the best students in Gaza Strip. My family wanted me to be a doctor. I said, no, medicine is not for me. I want like to go for more innovation and create things from nothing. So I studied engineering. And in the second year of college, I launched my first company, my first startup, and I sold it. And then in the fourth year of college, um, I launched my company that I went through like until up to date, which is a construction company that manufactures bricks out, out of ashes and rubble of the demolished houses. And this idea did not come, come out of air. It came out of a need where my house, my family house, was partially destroyed in 2008 and 2012 wars. And my dad had the ability to move to a new house. But hundreds of thousands of people who lost their houses, they were up un until today, like they are waiting on lists for the United Nations Development Program to get construction material to rebuild their houses. So in that time, I decided to use my education in order to find solutions for this catastrophe, which is like creating a new building blocks to solve the issue of having access to construction material. Yeah, this is this is who I am in short sentences. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite, I mean, it is really amazing. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that's really interesting about the, the product that you've developed is that you say that the quality of this green cake differs from other construction blocks. And I was wondering if you could explain how it differs from regular construction blocks used as, you know, building material. Yeah, so... We have like we have the regular construction blocks in Gaza, which has which has been used for more than seventy years now, and it's it's good, but it's not as it's supposed to be. Like it doesn't matches it doesn't match the standards of the American standards uh, for testing material. Why? Because if we match the standard, it will be more it will be very costly for the people, and they can't afford it. Plus, there is a lot of cheating, unfortunately, in some factories in Gaza. In order to sell it with a good price and to compete, they reduce the quality. So, and we had like we were between two gaps. Gap number one is: Do we have the access to these, you know, not good quality um, building blocks? This is number one. Number two is: Even if we have the access, for how long these blocks are going to survive? So, we were trying to find a solution in the middle by providing better quality building blocks in terms of isolation, in terms of strength, in terms of color, in terms of the plastering, plus having the access, creating the access for these building blocks. So people would, would just order bricks whenever they wanted to. Not They don't have to wait for the borders to open. They don't have to wait in lines for United Nations to bring them cement so they can use it for the building blocks. So what we did with these blocks is we tried to replace the material inside the ordinary blocks was something that's already exists in the community. So ordinary building blocks is made out of cement, aggregate, sand, and chemicals. So what we've done is we get rid of all the aggregate and sand inside the ordinary blocks, and we get rid of a big percentage of the cement, and we replaced it by the aggregate that came from the rubble of the demolished houses, 
plus ashes that come from places where people burn a lot of different materials to have to have a big fire in order to dry the mud, the mud pots. So we still use the mud pots, and these places are producing tons of ashes every week, and they just send it to the trash, to the garbage. And it's really a, like a super harmful thing for the environment. Mm. So we decided to save the environment from one side, second, and we can use this material instead of bringing aggregate from the soil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about um, the work that you're doing, I started thinking about the um, environmental aspect of it as well, because um, when you were talking in your TED Talk about, you know, you have all of these buildings that have been destroyed and you've got basically rubble everywhere. And it's not like there's a place, you know, you're not like you go to the, the rubble bin and go and put it there. You know, there there it's a huge mass effort. And I'm just wondering... What have been the side-on effects of that in terms of the cleanup efforts? Has it helped in any way? First, Gaza's environment is going into a place, as the United Nations, the United Nations mentioned, by 2020, Gaza is going to be an unlivable place. And now we are in 2021, and yeah. the situation is getting even worse. Okay. Um, we don't have a proper system by the government for recycling. With all the recycling processes that happen, it, came, it comes through either international organization, which is not something regional. Like it solves a small, a small part of the problem. Mm. The second thing is that, like, there's like unofficial sorting for the plastic and paper that like they send young kids at the age of sixteen and fifteen to collect the plastic so they can sell it and survive because of poverty. But for the ashes, all the ashes that's collected from different places in Gaza goes directly to the dump station. And in this dump station, nothing happens to it except burying it into the ground. And this ashes has small particles, and this small particles, it goes through the sand, through the soil, directly to the groundwater. So we don't see the effect now. We, we will definitely see it like 20 years from now. It means our children is going to, be, to, to drink... Um, not only polluted water, but also toxic. Mm. So mm. we don't have any system for this. So while we were collecting these ashes through the municipality trucks and bringing it to the factory, most of the people were saying, "Oh, wow, we, we are getting used. We are getting rid of a bigger problem that really like harms our life." And we wanted we wanted this this solution long time ago because because these these stations that produces ashes from the burning process. They just keep it aside on, in the street until the municipality comes and collects it. So it brings a lot of insects, a lot of you know bad smell, a lot of a lot of like bad things. Plus the dirty that comes out of it. So it's a serious problem for every single neighborhood in Gaza that has this very this burning place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's really fascinating because I I mean one of the things I remember you talking about is how. There's so many different components, right? And you're focusing on one specific component. Well, you're actually focusing on a lot of components, but um, it's not like you fix this one thing and then it's going to fix all of these other things. All you're doing is saying, look, I'm trying to take this one situation and make it make it better in the sense that I'm trying to make the most of a, of a particular environment that we're in, right? Um, which sort of leads me to the second item that you have been working on for some time as well um, is your company Sunbox. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that project that you've also been working on for several years. Yeah. So I will go first to the point you mentioned about you cannot solve the whole problem. 
there is a very famous proverb that I learned through our journey with the green tech that you cannot change the atmosphere, but you can plant the seed. Oh, yeah. So like, we cannot create a whole recycling system, but we can start and other people can follow. And I could mm. see it on the journey. So many students after graduating from the college reached out to us and they took the product and they developed it. They developed it and they tried to, to solve other solutions by saying, so why from the beginning we should burn the ashes? You know what I mean? So we should yeah. find a solution for this. Other people said, okay, if we do this, how can we create employment for these people who work inside the burning places? So you just plant the seed and then other people will take the following steps. And that's, 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 I think that's my mission in life. For the sandbox, well, the idea did not come out from like nothing again. While we were, we were producing building blocks, the electricity was unstable. And this situation has been the same since 2006. Like we, we grew up with, this, with the feeling of every morning you woke up with hearing the sound of the generator of your neighbor. And then when you come at night, you cannot just study because there is no nothing, there's no light. So either you have a small battery or you have a candle. And then every two, three weeks, you hear a story of cats that were burned to death because of a candle, because their mom forgot a candle. And I noticed this by my eyes, like our neighbor, our neighbor house was totally burned and three kids died. So, and, and on my personal side, it really affected me from a side, from my business and a personal side. From my business side, sometimes I had to go to the factory to produce a prex, 6 a.m. in the morning, sometimes 2 a.m., sometimes 10 p.m., sometimes 4 p.m. Like there's no constant production. So it really affected the business, um, the business production and output. We could not satisfy sometimes the customers because we, we did not produce on time because of the electricity. On the personal side, just imagine living your life with having so many, so many constraints around you. And I didn't feel this until I left Gaza for the first time and I landed in Tokyo. And, and then I looked at the streets and everyone, everything was shining. It's literally like the streets were like super light. The buildings are like, you know, have a lot of lights. And I was, I, was, I talked to myself and said, so why those people won't give us one line of this electricity so it could light Gaza? Yeah. So, yeah. And then the first time I spent there, I woke up in the morning, I was so scared that I didn't charge my laptop because I have a presentation. And I forgot totally that we have 24-7 of electricity. Mm -hmm. So just imagine how much this issue is occupying from your mind. Mm -hmm. This drove me in 2017 when I, while I was in the States through a fellowship that I joined to launch a second company called Sandbox. And, and, and then the vision of Sandbox was not only like with, within Gaza borders, I had a vision of providing all the off-grid communities in the Middle East with, with electricity. We wanted to create an access to renewable energy. Renewable energy exists. Needed community, needed communities exist. So how to create this access? We did not want to come up with a great product that no one has invented before and solve the issue of the earth. No, we knew that the technology exists. We just need the access to this technology. Yeah. So what we've done is we launched this, we launched Sunbox with the vision of creating a social enterprise in Gaza in the beginning to provide needy families in Gaza with affordable solar solutions. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think this is really, there's a lot of things running through my head, but one of the things I want to make clear to the listeners that you had mentioned in your TED talk is that when you talk about not having enough electricity, you're, you're talking about maybe three hours of electricity a day, maybe, right? Sometimes less. Um, I experienced yeah. a whole year of 2017 where we had almost an hour, two hours a day. 
And, you know, it's, it's interesting. You're not the first person I've talked to who's grown up in an environment in similar circumstances. I remember I had a colleague uh, from the Republic of Georgia and she had told me that in the 90s, it was a similar situation where uh, they had just like maybe an hour to make just enough to make breakfast in the morning, right? And then maybe an hour, two, if they're lucky, in the evening. And then the rest of the time, there wasn't any electricity. And, um, you know, there's a whole lot of politics behind it, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, having to literally live your life around a system where, and I, I can only imagine, you know, not just the shock of the senses of going to a place where you get it 24-7 and having to process that, like, wait, what? How is this, how is this happening? Um, but then realizing that, you know, there's an opportunity here despite the chaos. And one of the things that um, I know the BBC's talked about, um, I think it was sometime last year, they were talking about the effect that um, having constrictions has on creatives and that they found that when creatives have, and this includes entrepreneurs, when there seems to be nothing but barriers constricting their opportunities, in some respects, it becomes an impetus because they have to figure out a way out. And I think that mm -hmm. it speaks a lot to the work that you're doing is that you had all of, you have all of these constrictions, but in a way it sort of ignited this fire in you to be like, okay, I know what my parameters are. So now I need to figure out how to work with those parameters. And I know yeah. one of the things you talked about, um, so Sunbox has a, a business model that's called sharing is caring. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about this and how this concept came about. Yeah, I just I will follow up for like seconds about the point you mentioned about the electrical shortage. So I know that there are so many so many communities like in the world have have no access to energy. The problem with gas is not not just only having no access. We used to have electricity. We used to have twenty four seven of electricity. Okay, mm -hmm. but then it disappears one day because of politics, because of wars, because of occupation, different things. Okay, and and then the people have have to adapt. And then you and, and then the situation is getting worse. Like the electricity is affecting the water production because the desalination plants are not functioning properly. And then it affects the health sector because the hospitals cannot afford, you know, the full capacity due to the electrical shortages. And then it affects the education. It's like it's like you know the main the main the main axis that feeds the whole life. So when the electricity is shut down. Honestly, like everything shuts down, the business. Mm. You cannot walk in the streets at night. You have sexual harassment for so many women and girls. And I've heard so many stories about this. Then you will have gender violence because they, you, you, that will always be like, you know, under stress. I have some customers who came over to my house, to, to my company and said, we just want the solar system because we want to turn on the TV for our dad who gets so nervous if he doesn't watch his favorite drama. You know, like all of that, it really affects like the family and this like social life. Like it's not just about having a life to study; it's about having a life to survive. Like, right. like, and also right. especially like when it comes to the basic life needs. Like, for example, a children who doesn't have, who cannot run his nebulizer because there is no energy, so his mom has to carry him to the nearest mosque or nearest kennelic just to run it. So, just you know, having these small hours of electricity, you don't feel it. Unless you live, you live the misery, you live, you know, the, the bad life and you feel, for me, it was like I needed electricity to run my laptop to work. But for other people, they need electricity to, to practice their life, you know, to just to survive. Well, and I think this uh, is, yeah, go on, sorry. 
Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, I think um, a lot of people would would really resonate with this because one of the things, those that even have electricity 24-7, they're finding themselves trapped in their homes and they're Mm -hmm. having, they're they're almost like grabbing at straws to try to find the things that give them comfort. And Mm -hmm. I think what they're realizing is that these simple pleasures that we took for granted ended up being the things that keep us sane. So it could be things like your favorite TV show. I mean, I can remember years ago, um, I was hospitalized for some time and I had a, a, a really bad car crash. And I remember as part of my therapy, it was watching this TV show because everything else around me was pretty miserable. I lost two months of my short and long-term memory. I was 22. Everybody else was moving on with their lives. I was stuck at home. And that TV show was sort of like the happiness that I needed to remind me to be happy. And I think Mm -hmm. that that really speaks to the importance of, you know, it's not just like you said about the electricity. It's it's being able to hone in on the things that give you hope and give you joy. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are finding that it's 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 deeper than that. Right. You know, people aren't just getting into baking just to bake. They're doing it because they need to find something that makes them happy. So um, I think it also leads us into this idea of sharing is caring. And and could you just tell us how that came about? Yeah. So in 2018, we brought thousands of products to Gaza and then the economic crisis reached to a place where like with no return, like people had no salaries because the PA stopped paying salaries for the Gaza employees. So many people lost their houses due to the Trump's decision to cut funds for UNRWA. And like thousands of engineers just sat at home doing nothing. So if they used to have a thousand dollars a month, now they have zero dollar a month. And then we were stuck between the market research that we've done that shows that people really need this and they can pay like this amount of money for the product. At the same time, people said, yes, we need this product, but we can't pay for it. So we had to come up with a solution. As you said, like in order to be innovative, it's not just having great solution, but to make it applicable to solve the issue. So uh, we tried to implement different models and it all failed. Like we tried you know, to go to community centers, promote for things, try to make discounts, you know, to make installments, but like really, like nothing worked out. Until we reached to a solution where we looked at the social construction of the camp, of the community of Gaza. Like we figured out that each family is extended family, and the whole family decides to live on the same building, on the same compound. So what we've done is we decided to start sharing the solar energy. Like if a system costs a thousand dollars. We don't go and install it for one family. We install it, like, let's say, for two or three families who live on the same building. Okay, And then we issue a contract or issue an agreement with the three families saying, you will share the solar system and each one of you will get the third of the energy production. Plus, you will pay the third of the price. And then when we are looking for the families, we were looking for the families who have like a son and above it as another son. And, and, you know, in the beginning, it was really hard because, you know, we don't have the culture of sharing things. And then by time, when we, when we, we went to different community centers and we started promoting it among families and they were super welcoming. So we start installing solar panels on the shared buildings and then give lines, wires to the ones who pay for it. And it depends, like some families would pay two thirds and others would pay one third. So the one who pays two thirds 
based on like like certain connection, will have two thirds of the energy production, and this will have one one third, and so on. Some families we installed for them a system, and then we had to extend after a couple of months because their consumption is more. So what we've done also, we replaced it for free. So they just have to pay the price of the material, not the price of the installation. Okay. Um, so sharing is caring. Solar systems are shared with a couple of families, and they would share the cost, split the cost. Wow, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. Um, I was going to say, because you, you did talk oh, quite a bit about the sharing concept in your t um, 2019 TED Talk, but one of the things that you also talked about, which you've mentioned already, is um, the importance of making something out of nothing and learning to think way outside the box. And in our previous discussions, you mentioned that Palestinians living in Gaza have learned how to become resourceful with the materials around them. I remember you telling me um, if a chair breaks, you don't just go and get another chair. There's nowhere to go. You, you take that chair and you make it work. And yes. I was wondering how can people living outside of Gaza benefit from that type of resourcefulness when it comes to bettering their communities? First, they have to appreciate everything they have. Like you really have to value every single thing you have. And don't think you've, you've got it for granted. You've got it because you are tested to save it and tested to take care of it. This is number one. Number two is you shouldn't underestimate, uh, underestimate like things that you don't want. Let's say I have two cars, I'm using one. So the other one, just I'm using it for a spare time. No, you should buy what you need, not what you want. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, that's what, what happens with most of the people. Now I'm, I moved to Saudi Arabia to scale up the business, and I noticed the luxury of the life here. Like, everyone has everything. They buy with money everything they want, which makes me super crazy. Like, you guys should look at life in the, in, from a different aspect. You should know when you drink this water that there are so many people around the world who don't have this water, don't have even the access to it. Yeah. And and like when you sleep on your pillow by the end of the night, you should know that there are so many people who doesn't who don't have a rooftop on, above their heads. Yeah. So you should just think of others and appreciate everything you have. Believe me, Doctor Anne, the best thing that happened in my life is I was born in a community like Gaza because it taught me how to value things, how to value relationships, how to value everything I was given for granted. Mm. You know, one thing I've I've noticed is that there's a real strength in that, you know, like I, I think one of the things you talked about in your 2018 interview with the BBC, and I, I really love what you said, is you talked about how the people in Gaza do not want to be viewed as victims. And one of the things that I'm, I'm actually doing a talk with with um, a business in Los Angeles in about a week's time. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is, you know, are we a victim or are we a victor? And I think that really speaks to the message that you're trying to give. And I was wondering how, how do you apply that mindset into the work that you do? First, we don't accept donations for the families just because they wanted, they feel that these families poor and they want, we, we wanted to support them. We accept donations for the ones who feel they wanted to empower these families to have more income or to get educated the children. Okay? okay, I hate the feeling when I go somewhere and they say, "Oh, you're from Gaza. We feel poor for you." No, don't feel poor. We can do so many things with many more things. Okay, mm -hmm. some so many people around the world have things that that are dreams for us. Okay, like I dream of having such a thing that someone else has it for granted. But that does not mean that I'm poor. Or you should feel sorry for me. It means that I should work hard to get what you have, and you should work hard to save what you have. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. this. 
one. Number two is, I love when people come to support us from the aspect of creating thoughtful mindsets, okay? Not creating uh, a mindset that should accept the situation. The situation what we have inside Gaza is unacceptable, okay? But that does not mean to complain, it means to build, means to create, means to innovate. And then when we bring engineers or like new employees to the company, the first thing we teach them is what? Is how to empower yourself and how to build your own skill and how to survive when you are alone. So when we are alone in Gaza, I love, I want to survive with the power I get from other people. I don't want just to accept the situation and live. I want to survive, okay? And surviving means to be resilient, you know, to create, to solve, to empower, to develop your life. Do you ever do you ever sit every so often and think I've become my dad? <laughs> you know, because you've got that. On, you said your dad was an entrepreneur, and it seems like you've you've really absorbed that entrepreneurial spirit. I'm sure you have a lot of your mom as well. But do you ever just sit back and go, "Oh, I'm, I am I am my dad uh, to a degree," you know? But maybe just that extra step, you know? I tell you, like an honest thing. Until 2019, my dad was feeling disappointed about what I'm doing. Okay, oh, right. he was saying, I don't understand what you are doing. Why you are doing this? Someone like you should start learning how to be a housewife, how to take care of the kids. I don't mm-hmm. come, look at my hand. I burnt my hand two days ago. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it was really severely like damaged my skin. So, so like my dad, until 2019, he never believed in what I'm doing. Not because he doesn't want to. Because the community is telling him that your daughter is destroying her life. Right. She's changing the perspective from being a Muslim conservative woman, maybe to non-conservative Muslim woman, okay, which is a threat to the community. And so many women, look at her sisters, are following her steps. I guess your daughters will never get married. I got married, okay, two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, and congratulations, by the way. <laughs> So, he chose well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Up to date. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, there's like doing business and being married are two different things. And that's what I'm trying to explain to my family. Like, I'm doing business because hopefully I will meet someone in the future who really appreciates what I, what I have, what I have accomplished. And um, so until 2019, I had like this, this situation with my parents where I got into a big fight and, and then I, I stopped eating for like three days and no water. And I like, I was almost able to wake up or like walk. And then they believed in what I'm doing after this situation. And then my dad that year decided to invest. He invested almost half a million dollars in the company. <gasps> so he became an investor. And then two of my brothers joined the company. One of them is now with me here. In this, I'm in, from Sandbox office in Saudi. He's with me here in Saudi Arabia. Wow. And the other one is in Gaza. Like, just see, like, just see how the change, it didn't only change the people's life, but also it changed my life, my entire life. You know, my parents, yeah. because Sandbox were able to travel, my mom was able to travel for the first time in her life at the age of 50 from Gaza. And she went to the state and you know saw the network and saw what we've built like it's a whole empire like not only the gas scale like international scale so they believed in what i'm doing like when they've seen the impact i was like oh we are so proud of your daughter she she changed my life look these solar panels your daughter has done them look here here so like it really really changed my life like my parents are not my parents five years ago right right gosh that gives me chills that's really cool that's Thank really you. cool I always find when I when I get into a tiff with my dad, I'm like, you made me this way. <laughs> you started this. 
Who do you think I'm made out of? Huh? <laughs> well, I was going to say, what does it take to be an entrepreneur and or inventor in the 21st century, given everything that's going on? You need three things. You need, you need belief. You need to believe in yourself, your ideas, and you can make it. Believe and faith. Second thing, you need a proper network. You need to surround yourself with the people who believe in your leadership and ideas, and they can make it happen. Third thing, which is the most important thing, you need patience. You need to be super patient. Like, honestly, I've been through times where I almost gave up. Like, I was like, why am why I doing this to myself? Like, I can get married. I can enjoy my life with five, six kids. I can have someone who pays my bills, you know? Like, why am I doing this to myself? What the hell am I doing with Eric? And then, you know, then you remind yourself of your vision. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, one of the things I've, I've talked to people about in the past, this was in relation to doing the doctor, but I think it applies to anything ever is when you have that idea that kind of like niggles at you, it just sort of bothers you to the point that you're like, I have to do something about that. That's mm -hmm. when you know you found your passion because it doesn't mm -hmm. go away. You can't explain it away. You can't say, well, I should just do this. I should just do that. If that little like tap, 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 tap keeps bothering you at all hours of the day, it's like, well, then you need to listen. There's a reason it's tapping at your door, you know? And it doesn't make you sleep on a No, 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 it doesn't. And it's hard, by the way. The tapping's really hard. You open the door and you're like, oh, this is going to be really hard. <laughs> but you think about the outcome, right? I mean, that that's yeah. the whole point. And that, that's, the, that's the adventure behind it. Um, and so... Yeah, definitely. But I was going to say, um, and I know, you know, maybe you might want to keep this a bit secret, but do you have any other inventions on the horizon that you're planning on developing? Yes. Yeah. I'm working on a new idea. It's not, it's not, it's not born yet, like fully born. It's, um, oh. I'm still in with this idea. You know, yeah. when you have a, when you have a, a company, it's like your child. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on it. Hopefully, hopefully in the coming few months, we will, it will see the light. Good. Good. I, I, I hope to stay posted. Um, and I was going to say, um, how can our listeners and viewers support the work that you are doing? We have different ways of support. First, we don't only do sandbox. Like I serve as a mentor for so many startups in Gaza. Some of them exited to like really thousands of dollars. Others scaled up here to Saudi Arabia and I'm still supporting them. And uh, so you can like, you, if you are interested to be a mentor or a coach, I'm happy to connect you with the proper people who really need your expertise. If you are interested to support also like subsidizing solar units for some families, we have on the last hundreds of families that were working on subsidizing their solar system through our profits here in Saudi. And uh, the third thing is also like, we always look for people who, who, who is interested in business development to help us. You know, we are now entering a new market. It's taking so much of our time. I'm leaving like everything, even my marriage life, my honeymoon, I'm just working on Sandbox here. I'm burning your hand. <laughs> burning my hand. <laughs> so yeah, so there are different ways of support. Like feel free to reach us out at mash.sandbox.ps or like through our website um, or Facebook channel. Follow us, share our, like delivering the message is the most important thing to run. Yeah, and we'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. So if anybody wants to look that up further, they're more than welcome to. So no, that's really, I'm really excited for you. I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, the, the new projects that come up. So, 
Um, but I have to say, uh, that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. I'd like to thank Maj again for joining us at the studio this afternoon. Additional information on today's topic will be available in the show notes. In the meantime, we have our first monthly Coffee and Cocktails merchandise winner, Woo! where we pick out of a hat a Coffee and Cocktails follower from our social media platforms. And the winner this month is Naima Han. So Naima, feel free to reach out to us to get your prize. Otherwise, we'd like to give a shout out to our newest patron, also named Naima, not to be confused with our monthly winner. And if you enjoy the show, feel free to support our podcast by becoming a patron, where for as little as one pound per month, you can get early access to episodes, as well as bonus episodes and much, much more. It's contributions like yours that help our team to get the show going. And if you're watching our show on YouTube, hey, feel free to click the subscribe button below to stay up to date on future episodes. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week. 